everybody, and welcome to the 380th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that serves up food finance with glorious gusto. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be back, and as always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the fun stuff this week. Before we do, though, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance5 that's the number five during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast cliff what is on the agenda this week uh we've got uh four big things to talk about number one is our metagaming week in review we've got a modern challenge and a pioneer super qualifier to talk about segment two has got our top movers in paper and online then we go to our cards to watch. You and I have some delightful picks that are going to make people some money. And then we're going to get into the set review for Lord of the Rings. Uh, I know you and Oka went over a bunch of cards. You and I have talked about cards. But we've got a quick list here of the top cards for Modern and for Commander. Alrighty, we'll kick things off with the Friday Modern Challenge from Magic Online this past June 9th, I believe. That is correct, the ninth. We had Black Red Scam in first place. We had Living End in second and third. We have uh, Five Color Domain making a rare appearance in fourth, including one copy of Miglaw's The Maze Crusher, uh, a card you don't see in Modern all that often. And then it was a Hammer Time list in fifth, a Blue Red Murktide in sixth, a... Jund list in seventh that included three copies of Obnixilis the Adversary. And in eighth place, we had Yogmoth Combo, featuring three copies of Eldritch Evolution, four copies of Gris the Hunger Tide, four Yogmoth Grand Physician, and four Chord of Calling. Yep, that's the, the usual combo. You're going to gain things infinitely and just make things miserable for your opponent. I do love uh, everything about a good Rakdos scam deck. Uh, just the most beautiful set of creatures you ever saw. And uh, topping out at a three-mana season Pyromancer is just going to get you nothing but goodness. I love Grief. I love Fury. And any format, you know, he's main decking Blood Moon in this one. So we're already all the way there. The one that was in the black red deck that was not in first but in sixth, seventh, seventh, was had three Blood Moon in the board, but the three Obnixilis in the main, and then they also had four Death Shadow. So this is kind of like a black red scam shadow hybrid. Yeah, and uh, also four Street Wraith, which is a fun card to have to pitch to. Some of these other things, it helps you fill up that yard and get Croxa actually into play. Or, but it's been a while. Or drain your own life total to set up a shadow. 
or drain your life totally to set up a shadow is the other thing I was going to say. Thank you very much for reading my mind. <laughs> and then on over in this Pioneer Super Qualifier that was on the weekend, he had Mono Green making a regular appearance in first place. And then there was a blue-red deck that in- involves Ledger Shredder, but this is a build that it would be better termed, I think, blue-red control. The only threats in the deck are four Crackling Drake, four Ledger Shredder, and four Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Then it's 22 instants and seven sorceries, including four Treasure Crews. Hasn't, haven't seen a four Treasure Cruise deck in a while. Uh, Fiery Impulses, Opt, Blitz of the Thunder Raptor, Spikefield Hazard, Consider, Fading Hope, Spell Pierce, and Fires of Victory. Uh, all setting this up. And it wasn't even a one-off. There was another copy of the list in the top eight. I think it was in the bottom half of the top eight. So maybe it was a teammate. Grease Fang was in third. You had Blue White uh, Spirits in fourth. And then the fifth played list was Yorion Enigmatic uh, Incarnation. Uh, and then Black Red Midrange was in sixth. The other blue red deck was in seventh. And it was back to mono green for eighth place. The synergy I really love here is that Treasure Cruise exiles and Cackling Drake doesn't care if it's exiled. So you still get the huge bump to the power that way. And in terms of things that you want to make a copy of with the last phase of, oh no wait, uh, yeah, with the last phase of, of Fable, uh, then, you know, you can copy a Cackling Drake and get your extra card and you're attacking for, you know, seven or eight damage. It's all hasty. Oh yeah, that's pretty this cute. This is amazing. On over to the paper top paper movers of the week. Had to dig pretty deep here to see movement. And I think that is representative of the fact that the entire magic community is eyes locked and focused on lord of the rings which is pre-releasing in four days we have it coming out on arena i think wednesday or thursday and the latest bid from a spanish vendor has now pushed bidding up to two million euro including a trip to spain to drop off the card if you crack it so if you are advertising that you're going to spend two million euro that means you have a buyer for probably two and a half, right? I'm not even convinced that that's necessarily the case. It's entirely possible that people that are throwing bids out since the the momentum has been gaining are doing it on the basis that they think their bid's going to get trumped and they're just going to get a bunch of free advertising out of the bid itself. It's al- That's pretty... It's also possible that they're doing the math on the value of having their brand mentioned in international press for a couple of days in literally hundreds or thousands of outlets if it gets picked up by the AP, right? And then there may be... It's in t- also possible that some owner of some big store who's got deep enough pockets thinks to themselves, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to buy this. And if a buyer shows up with a with a sweet offer, cool. Otherwise, we'll write it off as a marketing expense and put it in a big trophy case in the store, and people will come in and take photos with it from all over the place. I would totally selfie with the one ring that was yeah. behind like an inch of lucite. I Obviously. would do that. I'm that guy. So, I mean, my gut says... If you're confidently making an offer like that and you expect it to stand, then you probably have a a buyer lined up or you just figure you've got some combination of these outs and it's going to be worthwhile. I mean, to to do a PR campaign internationally in the gaming community is not cheap. So just putting just putting your name in association with the the current highest bid has a bunch of 
free marketing power. Do you think, I, I don't think it's possible we find it quickly. I think that the one ring will show up in a month, six weeks, you know, when we're starting to get to the next set, but I don't think it's going to be in the first wave of stuff. That that has always been my feeling from the perspective of if it was me, I would want to drag this out a little bit, but not get outside the press cycle on the set. So maybe time it to release between weeks two and six, as opposed to right on day one. For instance, the, the number one of 700, is it? of the dwarven rings has already been found and posted on facebook right and i remember when i first brought this up in the discord and asked people what they thought the ranges was going to be the discussion was around 500 to 2000 for the dwarven rings for for the three sets of rings that that would be the range that they would go for keeping keeping in mind that there's what 300 700 and 900 of them that's correct right uh, but you and I figured out, running some some quick math last week, that the surge foil box toppers are actually just as rare as, was it the human ring or the dwarven ring that they're as rare as? So we're working off of an assumption of 3.3 million collector booster packs. Uh, that's not boxes, that's not cases, that's individual packs. And then doing the math on that based on the drop rate, you get to around one, a surge foil box topper, around one in 4,100 or so packs. And Dwarven Soul Rings are one in 4,700. So it's slightly, it's less common than the Dwarven and slightly rarer than the Human Soul Rings. Yeah, so there was some conversation in the Discord on Friday as we were going over the, those numbers about how any reasonably priced surge foil box topper, topper posted uh, at a rate that many people might think is high, but actually maybe very low, is probably an instant grab because 800 copies worldwide is nothing. That's tremendously different than the best box topper we had, for instance, in Ultimate Masters, where foil box toppers were something like 20 or 40 times less rare. It's pretty impressive that they have made something rarer by our calculations and by the numbers they gave us than the serialized human rings. rings. Yep, exactly. So they could have put numbers on these. The, yes. The number of copies is so low. And and that's interesting, right? Because they apps, based on the drop rate, people paid thousands of dollars for red soft glow Hidetsugu out of Neon Dynasty. And that showed up more than twice as often as the Surge Foil box toppers do. That was 1,800 packs to find one. Yeah, think about some of the shattered glass foil transformers when those were first coming out. Those went for some crazy prices, and that was nearly twice. So is a surge foil Urborg five thousand dollars? <laughs> I don't know about five. Well, the hmm. the dwarf number what would you pay for? number one of the dwarven rings was was posted in the as a hey throw me offers. I've had trade offers as high as seven grand, and I saw another dwarven ring posted at fifty five hundred. I don't think I would. The fact that it doesn't have numbers on there is going to scare off. Is is not going to scare off. That's not the word I want. Is going to lower the prices because people don't have the same appreciation for how rare a pull these are. 
So you, so, you, so you see, yeah, but eventually the market's going to get wise in the same way they did with 30th Retro, where everybody was treating the set like it was garbage for weeks. And then slowly but surely, the finance community started to come around that they were actually supposed to buy way more of that product than they did. And so let's say you're on eBay later tonight, and you you see a great hand surge foil at posted at $9.99 US. I'm buying that. Okay. I mean, that's a fairly confident buy, right? Because it's... I, I, I don't. Mean, I don't think your average magic player realizes that there's a thousand dollar great henge that might be underpriced in the foreseeable future. Because people were talking about, oh, the box toppers are are going to ruin such and such a spec, and that's true for very basic copies. It, it absolutely provides significant gravity, but for the very nicest version of of the great henge, that might just be the party tree surge foil now, not the original, say, Japanese foil extended art. I am going to be curious to see how long it takes for this to shake out because it should turn out to be that the surge foils are crazy expensive in in the realm of human soul rings. But again, because it doesn't have the numbers, I agree that people will catch on, but I don't know that without collector numbers on them at this point, people are going to be willing to throw that kind of money around because there, I think there's more of a, a mental block now that we have serialized rings but this is more an exercise in psychology than anything else now well it's, it's also interesting to compare them to the five praetors with unique art that have been going for anywhere from a thousand to three thousand dollars over the last six weeks or so from uh the multiverse legends release and you know one of the big things there is that those were serialized the other one is that they had unique art these uh surge foils have a unique treatment but not unique art so right. that may factor as well. You know, it's cool looking foil, but if it doesn't have the number on there, I don't know if it can get to crazy, crazy premium. I, I think it'll still be expensive, but I don't think it'll be, I think it'll take a while for people to catch on. I think you're, you're right about that. Keep in mind, again, red soft glow Hidetsugu, the rarest version of that card, did not, was not serialized either. The card wasn't even, it was a very mid-tier EDH card with no other applications. Character is only really well known to those of us that read the novels 20 years ago. So the fact that those got up to $3,000 plus before sliding suggests to me that Surge Foils probably get a big surge. <laughs> I know, that was somewhere, somewhere along the way here. So we got very distracted by all that, and I'm sure the community is as well, which is why this top paper removers list is so anemic. Gale Rider Sliver Foil Extended Art, the secret layer uh, bonus include $55 to $90. That's been over a few weeks as the countdown to the Sliver EDH deck associated with Commander Masters begins. Archfiend of the Dross Step and Complete Foils from All Will Be One, $1.50 to $3 because it's part of a instant kill pioneer combo. Uh, with Metamorphic Alteration, which went from $0.75 cents to $5. That's an M19 rare, if I'm not mistaken. Newly discovered Pioneer combo where Archfiend of the Dross, if you, it has oil canters that come off every turn, and if it gets to zero, you lose the game. So what you do is you make one of your opponent's creatures into an Archfiend of the Dross, but it doesn't have the counters on it because it didn't come into play. It just becomes the creature. And so I think it's on their upkeep or something. They die. Two-card combo, GG. 
We also have people trying to spec hard and push up the price on Arachnogenesis, a Commander 2015 card that I don't believe has ever had a reprint. $30 to $60 this week on the back of Shelub being an assumed top commander out of the Lord of the Rings set. I'm not convinced, frankly. I think Shelub is a better card in my food deck than it is as a commander. And it's... I think it's going to see solid amount of build, but the thing is that the spider theme is not all that deep, and I'm not convinced you even need any of the spider specs, but people will, on the other hand, go ahead and buy them because they it seems like it's supposed to be part of the ball game. You might be better off on uh, focusing on the artifacts that make all your creatures into spiders as opposed to putting actual spiders in your deck. Right. But, but uh, I've got I've got a pick along those lines anyway, so we can talk about that more in a moment. Finally, wrapping up this list, we've got Crypt Rats out of MH1 foils, kind of inex- inexplicably going two to six dollars. Very few copies left under four. I don't know why someone's been scooping these. They must have an interaction I haven't I have not flagged yet. It's just a fun card to have. You know, it's a a way to wipe the board in a creature that you can recur. If you give it lifelink in some way, it really gets out of hand. Rats. I mean, you just it's there's a, a number of things, and this is a foil from a while ago, so two to six is not that big a deal. Well, it's more that it had not had a reprint since seventh edition foils, right? When it showed up in Modern Horizons, Modern Horizons. But I I don't I don't know if this was. I'm just looking over the the sales list here, filtering for foils only in Near Mint and Light Played on TCG Player to see how many copies got bought how frequently. It looks like it's been mostly a slow, steady drain, but it did get a big chunk bit off on May 7th for some reason. So maybe there was a Lord of the Rings reveal that I haven't put two and two together on. Well, we'll find out with the uh, with more rats that start showing up in the top movers list. Moving on over to segment three, top magic online movers. We have Ledger Shredder doing so well, putting two of that new blue-red control deck into the Pioneer top eight, uh, showing up as a 54% gainer, going 7.7 ticks to almost 12. We also have Demi Lich out of uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, going 1.87 ticks to 4.27. It showed up as a 5-0 in a Jeskai Phoenix list in a modern league in late May, but I haven't tracked anything else that was going on with it this weekend, so I'm not sure if it top-aided something that I didn't flag. Mausoleum Wanderer out of Eldritch Moon, of course, is a anchor four of in Blue-White Spirits for Pioneer, and it went 0.95 ticks to 2.61. Two-level one drop that is always relevant late game. Charging that tax is very, very important. Alrighty, moving on over to cards to watch. I've got a, a bit of a spicy one. Wizards last uh, fall announced that for the 30th anniversary throughout the year of 20, end of 2022 and into 2023, there were going to be retro foil and regular foil 30th anniversary promos that were going to be handed out in various languages around the world. And one of the more desired releases is the Shivan Dragon Foil Retro 30th, Specifically in English, which goes for hundreds of dollars because there's very few of them around. But the Japanese copies have dried up almost entirely on TCG Player. And there are very few copies available left on eBay, mostly from Japanese vendors, in and around the $50 to $55 range. 
I have a feeling that snagging those or getting even more ambitious and going to card market in Europe or some of the smaller Japanese websites where I snapped off some copies today at $14 um, is going to be a pretty solid play because I think that these are going to be the kind of thing where you're going to sell one every few months as the hype cycle rolls on and people start to forget about them. But they will eventually sell because it's a you know a single period release and it doesn't come out of any product that anybody can crack. It's not the kind of thing the gaming company can rack up huge chunks of. And so for these to go 50 to 80 inside a year on the back of how nearly drained out they are in North America already means that to pick up you know 30 or 40 dollar copies in Europe or 20 dollar copies in Japan and aim to sell them onesie twosie out of a relatively shallow basket seems like a pretty decent plan to me. So you're talking about a car that you literally bought for under $20, and you're talking about it going from a current price of $50 to $80. Correct. I mean, you could tell me that's any card on Earth that you're buying for under 20 and is currently selling for 50 and I'd be like, arbitrage, ahoy, let's, let's dance. There's no downside there. What I really love about these promos is the sheer number of people who are probably trying to collect a set. Because we are notorious for shenanigans like this, where we have to have one of each of the, the whole display that comes out. And I think that, plus the rarity and distribution of it, you might find a store at some point that didn't give out their promos or something, but... I think this is a very solid pick, especially at the kind of prices you're talking about. This is easily a a wonderful thing to pick up on, and good job flagging it for those folks who can get their overseas on. It's very, very niche. There's Even the Lanaware Elves retrofame foil in Japanese, there's only a single listing on TCG Player at 330 and... Most of the action is over, again, on eBay, because that's where the Japanese vendors uh, post their stuff. Right. And I was able to crack off some of those at about $34, where the cheapest I could find on eBay was closer to 45 or 50 And I was looking at like completed listings to see if I, it seems likely that I can move them on eBay. And there was a copy of the Retrofoil Japanese Shivan sold on June 6th for 55 So... My entry seems especially good, but anything in between that and 50 seems very solid to me as well. And for anybody listening that wants to get some pointers on how to start their international journey, our Discord is an excellent place to do that. It is indeed. We have members on all the relevant continents uh, in our Discord, so definitely plenty of action to be had. You want to tell me about your first pick selection this week since I just slid it into a deck like three hours ago? Well, good job sliding it into the deck. I was appalled to see that you hadn't put Trail of Crumbs in your initial build of food when it is one of the most enabling food cards around. It hasn't had a reprint, and foils are available as cheap as two bucks, but there's only about 38 vendors. Only one vendor has more than four copies. It is not in the pre-constructed deck, amazingly enough. But, you know, Trail of Crumbs is kind of a fantasy uh, children's tale trope, and it doesn't really fit in the Lord of the Rings. So, I mean, this is an amazing card that I'm picking to go 2-7 to seven in foil. It wasn't uncommon, but again, there's almost none available. It's been such a long time since uh, Throne of Eldraine, 
And I just think that if you think food is going to be big, this is going to do it. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that our pro traders don't go crazy on this like they have with some of my other low volume picks in the past couple months. I, I think there's going to be action on this anyway, because the food and fellowship deck I expect to be popular. Lots of people will be looking to upgrade it. I just put out a 3000 word article today on how to upgrade that deck. So that's really be easy to write a ton of words about how to upgrade a precon. It's true. Uh, so that's that'll be floating around, and I played the deck four times this weekend in a uh, lesser form. Uh, I've since swapped out about 15 cards, and even in the original version, it does exactly what you expect it to do. You get Frodo down on turn two, you get Sam down on turn three. They're two and three drops, respectively. They're partnered. They have to start deciding when they're going to deal with them, kill them, one by one or sweep them and they have two completely different but interlocking angles of attack frodo is setting up a uh, situation where you're going to have be tempted enough times that you have the full uh, set of ring abilities where things that block your ring bearer have to be sacked at the end of turn all your opponents take three damage uh the uh, ring bearer when it's frodo and it has bibble's ring on it ends up drawing can be in a situation where it ends up drawing three cards a turn and you're discarding one the sam side of things is just comboing out without even needing to attack with all the food tokens so you get, you've got a whole bunch of other halflings that are doing things like double up on how on your food production or sam makes your food cheaper to sack uh, bringing the sack cost down to one and everything that they printed that looked like it was intended to be in this deck is just an interlocking puzzle piece that does exactly what you expect. Then you throw in things like Anointed Procession or Parallel Lives or Doubling Season or Academy Manufacturer, and stuff gets out of control in a hurry. Then what you do is you add in all the black Punisher cards that basically take advantage of your artifacts coming in and out of play. So you have the Mirkwood Bats, where the treasure comes in, the treasure food or clue comes into play. Opponents take a take a damage, and on the way out, they take another one. There's a CLB enchantment that is set up to be a background, but you don't need to use it as a background here. You can just have it in your 99. It's called Agent of the Iron Throne. It's only an uncommon, so it has it doesn't have a foil extended art that would have showed up in the sample packs and the related commander decks. It only right. has a foil etched. And those are less than two bucks. And I don't see how this isn't good in a whole bunch of decks. It says commander creatures you own have whenever an artifact or creature you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, each opponent loses one life. So it's got that Mirkwood Bats clause. And because you have partnered commanders here, it's very likely you're going to have at least one of them in play and that agent's going to be turned on. You also have Nadir's Nightblade out of Commander Legends, two and a black for a 1-3. Whenever a token you control leaves the battlefield, each opponent loses one and you gain one. And one of the other players at our table was running Lotho, Corrupted Sheriff, and making a whole bunch of treasures. And in both cases, when either of us had one of these things going on, we were in posi- position very quickly to just finish the table by sacking all our treasures. Or in mm-hmm. my case, or in my case, foods. Yeah, because you're going to run a smothering tithe in here, so you're going to have the interactions with Academy Manufacturer going in both directions. 
it's it's very very nasty there's also an mh1 card i haven't put in the deck yet that is is worth a look i think it's the one where it's like if you have cast a non-creature and a creature spell this turn it's a two and a green for an enchantment and it basically does what academy manufacturer does it gives you a food clue and uh and a treasure token yeah it's pretty amazing the the synergies they put in there and the, the upgrades you can do to it i wanted to ask you has anybody hit uh bilbo's ultimate yet with 111 life? i i didn't manage to do it uh i think that there the version of the deck that would i i, I think that the easiest answer to that is you probably just build Bilbo right? in that in that case and have everything else in the 99. Or you can build Sam and Frodo, but play three or four creature tutors and three or four life total doublers. So you, you want to run Alhamrit's Archive. You probably want to run Etherflux Reservoir in that version. You run the white spell that doubles your life total. at I think it's Sorcery Speed and Rock's Faith Mender and uh, Boon Reflection. And then you have a chance to getting at 100 plus life. In the version I'm running, I actually took out Rock's Faith Mender because I realized that I'm not trying to combo out on a super high life total because I'm also not running Reservoir yet. What I'm trying to do is use life as a resource, but like really push that and then drain and then dra- and then drain the table out. So like you can you drop a Necropotence, for instance, when you're at 60 life draw a full grip, play a bunch of combo pieces. They go ahead and try to sweep you. You use one of the four or five anti-sweep cards in the deck, like a heroic intervention or whatever, to brush that off and keep rolling. And and if they don't manage to farewell you out of the game, then you're probably going to kill them by turn 10. I like farewell you out of the game. That's a, that's a good way to phrase that with farewell. Wow, this deck re- relies on legendary creatures and artifacts being in play, so if they farewell, you're in big trouble. It is problematic. And then... Uh, I like the the theme we have this week in our picks is really impressive. I want you to tell me about this uh, next one, which you alluded to earlier. Yeah, so if people are going after Arachnogenesis, they've also already been nibbling on Ishkana Graph Widow. It's a single printing foil out of Eldritch Moon. They're current, there's currently like a double handful of these lying around on North American websites for about $10. Seems very likely to go to 20 as people add this to their uh, Shelob builds. As I said earlier, I think Shelob as a spider commander is a bit of a red herring. It's it's probably better as a toolbox commander. And I put it in the food deck because, A, it, it turns dead creatures of your opponents into food. And then the food in question you have to put off in a separate pile because they have upside. Because they carry all the abilities of the dead creatures. Which is something we've never seen before, to my knowledge. You know, there's tons of clones that copy the abilities of creatures, but very rarely have we seen, you know, the ability to take a text box and put it onto a non-creature permanent. Yeah, this it's a, a neat card to build around because you're going to you steal everything and put it out there as these enchantments that have the activated abilities or triggered abilities that go on. All right, tell me about your your final selection. My other selection this week is rolling with the theme of stuff that's going on. Uh, there was a lot of mention of tree folk last week that were going on because people want to build ant decks. And if you're going to build a tree folk deck, there are not a lot of tree folk out there. But one of them that has a really spicy version and almost no copies on TCG Player is Ancient Lumberknot in a silver screen foil from Double Feature. Did not uh, even know this have... card existed. 
Really? No, nope. you never played against this? Oh, this like, it was a beating. It was a 4-4 four, four for 4 that made your other stuff awesome. So you can get it right now for 250 on TCG Player, and I'm picking it to hit $10 once people notice that this is the only sweet version you can get. You can get foils, but why would you get a regular foil when you can get the sweet silver screen version? There's only 25 people who have copies. Uh, the gaming company has one copy to give you an idea of how many copies are waiting in the wings on Double Feature. One of the problems here is that Fanghorn Tree Shepherd is a mono green commander. Sure. So, so if people actually want to build Ents instead of going back and and building the Abzan Tree Folk commander, uh, Doran, Doran, uh, Doran the Siege yeah. Tower, yeah. Uh, if they want to build actual Fanghorn, they can't run lum- Ancient Lumberknot. So it becomes a question of whether Doran is going to see a spike. If you don't see him show up in the list, you're not going to want to be very deep on this. You really can't go deep on this. There's not that many copies available to go deep on. Did they even give us a multicolored tree folk? I'm just scanning the list here because I can't think of one. Oh, yeah, yeah. They gave, they gave us the one that's in my deck. Yeah, so the the only multicolored tree folk in the set is Treebeard Gracious Host, which is two green white. Trample Ward right. 2. When tree board, Treebird enters the battlefield, you get two food tokens, and then whenever you gain life, you put that many plus one, plus one counters on target halfling or tree folk. I played this on turn four on the weekend, and people were like, oh, how many food do you, <laughs> how many food do you have? I'm like, I have five already, and I have salmon play. So they can all be sacked for one mana, and I can gain 15 life and put it on this 0-5 trample and make it a 15-20 trample. So on the that next, good. so on the next turn, I made him like a five, like a six ten or something. I don't know what it was, seven, six or eight or something. And then the next turn, I put it all on Frodo and dared dared them to block him. And yeah, Treebird was good there, but he's also not green black. So True. again, this comes down to whether Doran gets the resurgence or not. We will find out the fun way. It just anything that has a low number of copies and has this is the only sweet version. I'm going to think, all right, well, it's 250 a copy. I'm going to go in for a playset and just put in the box and wait. All righty. So weekly topic, we're going to do our official set review for Lord of the Rings now that it's all been revealed. And we'll include cards from both the uh, pre-cons and the main set. I guess some jumpstart might be mixed in here, but I didn't double check whether any of the cards on our list are actually the the jumpstart cards. The first thing I have to to say is that we've already spent hours discussing a lot of these cards over the last six weeks or so so i won't (laughs) we won't need to go so so deep on them and it's especially easy for modern where we have top five modern cards is the the subtitle of this this section of segment five but i only had four to list so if you've got anything that you think is is a maybe here that i haven't flagged most of the other stuff i saw people talking about seemed like wishful thinking to me I am a I'm big on the wishful thinking, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bow to your thoughts. I've listed several of them that I thought were good humans and uh, many discussions with many people later. It's been like Cliff, you're crazy. So I'm gonna bow to people who play more modern than I do. So the first card that ever is one of the more expensive ones. I think it's in the mid 30s right now on pre-order as just a rare out of the set is Orcish Bowmasters, and I got to see this played against me and out of my own deck. Uh, multiple times this weekend it really is as good as people think it is uh it's actually better because i think what a lot of people miss and i missed as well is that it's a one and a black for a one one flash orc archer the text on it leads you to believe that it's a triggered ability is predicated on an opponent having drawn their 
a, a card that was not from their the first one in their draw step. In which case, you're going to deal one damage to any target and then amass orcs one. So the first time you do that, you're going to get a one one orc, and then as you amass further, you're going to it'll be a two two, a three three, four four, whatever. But it's not quite that. What it actually says is when it enters the battlefield and whenever an opponent draws a card except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps. So the first time I ended up using it was in response to somebody's Phyrexian Arena trigger. And as it came in, I was like, oh, wait, I get the trigger twice because I get it as it comes into play and I get it for the second, the weird card they drew. In which, case, in which case you deal one thing to one thing and one thing to another thing in the table and then get a 2-2 two, two out of the mix. So you end up with a 1-1, one, one, a 2-2, two, two, potential for later, and you have poked two things once. That seems completely ridiculous in black for one on a black. It just seems like pretty ridiculous for any color. I mean, this is really good against any number of strategies. And if you really want to do degenerate things... you. Everybody wants to draw cards. That's just a given. We all know that. There's a, a lot of things that don't necessarily draw cards, like a Niv-Mizzet Reborn trigger, things like that. But what I love about this card is that it, it takes something that they want to do and double punishes them. This would be great if it just dealt the damage to any target, paying your Planeswalker, paying your creature, due to the face but you also get the token creature to go with it. And and putting aside the applications in Legacy, which are relatively fringed versus the entire usage pattern for the community at this point, obviously in Legacy, you, you draw plenty of cards uh, in the blue deck. So I mean, in response to bra- this is a really great brainstorm response. Like, oh, you brainstorm oh, yeah. okay, in response to Bowmasters, and yeah. now the battle is really being fought. You can't spell pierce it. Oh, I love it. And, and in Modern, there's tons of things, you know, Dragon Raid, Channeler, Ragavan, etc., that are very vulnerable to this one ping and then in both modern and commander you have early esper sentinels at a hammer time or any white deck in in edh has delicious tension with this because the first time somebody else gives the esper sentinel uh player a card you get to bow masters at instant speed and take care of that problem i think they have the trigger goes on the stack and when the trigger resolves the bowmaster has to be in play, so they'll get to de- the bowmaster has to be in play when they're deciding in order for that to happen. But it's good anyway. It's good anyway, and you have to decide if you want to kill, bother killing their Esper Sentinel when it could possibly do so much more. Oh, you mean in terms of slowing the rest of the table down? Yeah, sure. That there's some tension there. Although in terms of whether or not the tr- the Sentinel trigger is going to justify playing the bowmasters, you can usually just tell that because somebody's tapped out early. Yeah, <laughs> and and in our games, it's can't. very we play very political games, and most of our intentions are telegraphed before we do them. <laughs> Where we go, okay, are you likely to pay your taxes this turn? And so, yeah, I think Bowmasters is just going to be pretty much everything everybody expects. Now, as a rare, can it hold thirty five? I don't know. This set's pretty deep, and a lot of the EV gets siphoned off to the premium cards that are involved. So I would imagine that Bowmasters will peak early here and then recede back to some more reasonable level. Like this, this feels to me like a high teens, low twenties card. I was thinking twenty, yeah. I mean, if you look at what Esper Sentinel has sat at for most of the time since it was released, that's probably pretty close to what Bowmasters will kind of pattern. 
Yeah, Esper Sentinel is, was from Modern Horizons 2, which yes. got opened continuously for like a year. Yeah, this but it's going to be from a one summer project. There's there's going to be a lot of Lord of the Rings floating around, but no, 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 no. Lord of the Rings will be kept in. I I believe Lord of the Rings will be kept in print pretty much as long as MH2. Like that, they will go back to the presses multiple times on these. They haven't promised us at all that this stuff is out of print. The C, the original CB boxes are presumably a single run, but the run is gigantic. And in November, we're getting another run of at least some of those cards with alternate art and an alternate treatment, but no chance at the one of one ring, no chance at the serialized. So, uh, yeah, I think there's there's gonna be so 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 much of Lord of the Rings, and even if it's not quite as much of M- as MH two in the end. It's got to be pretty close, and and as a result, you I think you can look at rare, good, really good rares from MH2 with multi-format appeal like Sentinel, and compare them to Bowmasters, and you're in, you're in the right range. I saw Kyle, a uh, Discord member with us, and and many other uh, MTG Finance communities, uh, and a vendor of note, talking about debating what the real value of the one of one one ring was on Twitter, and in one of his comments, he said. And it's not even a playable EDH card. (laughs) I can tell you, Kyle clearly doesn't play enough EDH. We played with the One Ring this weekend. It did exactly what you would expect it to do. Like, there was a a player who was playing some Rhino commander, I can't remember the name of, that's like a Voltron commander that was swinging for 10, 15, or 20 or something. And I was vulnerable. So I cast the One Ring, completely shut down all the attacks and anything else people wanted to do for the next turn, and gave myself just allowed myself to completely swing out, attack with all the the hobbits, build a bunch of food, do a bunch of combo stuff, drain some people, and just leave myself completely unprotected for the entire turn cycle. And then on the next turn, started drawing cards. And uh, yeah, the the one ring is good. <laughs> and if you can bounce it and, ca- and cast it again, or bring it back from the yard and, and cast it again, etc., in the artifact recursion decks, you're going to get plenty of mileage out of it. Now, I would say that there are a lot of effects that generate resource advantage, but drawing cards is not all this does. This is giving you protection for an entire turn cycle plus drawing cards. So it's a very good card. Now that said, you can get these automatically in millions of bundles. So it being one of the priciest cards right now and all of the versions of it being like above $30 today, seems very unlikely to continue i like i think non-super special versions of the one ring you just want to be selling up front before the supply overwhelms the demand yeah i was gonna say that we we were talking about this in the discord that there is a lot of one rings out there so be prepared for this one to take a pretty significant tumble it's good i mean we you and i on our list it this and orcish bowmaster are one two for modern and commander so I'm I'm not downplaying the power of the card. It's just that, as you said, not only is it a mythic in a set we're about to open like crazy, it is also a given in these bundles. And I would imagine there would be even more copies guaranteed coming in the uh, holiday season as well. My guess is, yeah, I think that is true. And my guess is that for modern, it will end up in an aspiring deck style brew that will be capable of 5-0-ing leagues, but that we won't see in top 8s all that often. But it's got synergy potential. If there's a deck that can incidentally bounce it to recast it, or 
finds ways to tap and untap it multiple times per turn to draw extra cards with minimal life impact, then it could go further. At this point, I think it's a it's, it's a unproven quantity for modern, whereas I think Orcish Bowmasters is going to fit. I just don't know where. It, it feels like a Jund card to me, um, and maybe right. make, maybe takes Jund up a half step, but we'll see how it goes. There's also Stern Scolding. This is the one that can counter any creature for one mana that has, what, pa- pa- power or toughness two or less? Is that, that is correct. Is that the wording? Yeah. That's the so, wording. That one's nice because it can counter some of the evoke creatures. It can counter a lot of the one and two drop threats in the format. And it seems entirely likely that blue-white control will find some room for it. But blue-white control as a presence in modern, you know, we show it, see it show up in a top eight, you know, once, maybe twice a week across multiple challenges. So it's out there, but it's, it's probably a, a tier 1.5 deck. Yeah, I, it's good for control decks to have access to something to do on this turn so it on turn one i mean to have this extra mana open it's also good against aggressive decks you know they're going to have your two ones your three twos whatever so they're going to to be good and uh, i'll be curious uh, i'm not judge enough to know the answer to this but something like if you have a fully powered up wild mcconnell you can't use this right because it would be a three three even on the stack or does it have to be in play for its text to matter? I would imagine that Stern Scolding checks that on the stack because it's it's like star star as the power and toughness, right? If you had a creature that was a 2-2 two, two that got bigger when it hit play, that would work. Right. If it is So something like back up a triggered ability, that doesn't count, but just says it gets 1-1. One, because one. some things check constantly, some things only check once. Yeah. So I'll be, I'll be looking for the, the interactions on this to find out what's up the only other card that looks like jumped out at me is very very likely to see play probably in hammer time as one or two copies maybe in the main maybe in the board is forge anew two and a white for an enchantment this being three instead of one or two i think hurts its chances a bit but when it enters the battlefield you return target equipment card from your graveyard to the battlefield so if they manage to kill a hammer a hammer and you want to bring it back this does exactly that and then as long as it's your turn you may activate equip abilities anytime you could cast an instant and you may pay zero rather than pay the equip cost of the first equip ability and you activate during each of your turns. So you get to play fun games in the attack step where you're attacking with three things and they might be one ones and zero ones. And you're playing a little game of chicken with your opponent as to what which one they're going to target <laughs> and which one's right. going to end up with the hammer on it. Because you get to equip for zero and you do it at instant speed. I mean, it's, uh, it's like the old morph things. Which one do you want to block? You don't know what it's going to be. But in this case... Is the question is simply, do you have enough creatures to block them all, or do I hit you for ten? And it's just that simple. I guess if I'm pressed to find something to round out the top five modern cards, I'm going to go with Boromir, Warden of the Tower. Two and a white, three three vigilance. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. That's not once. That's permanently until they deal with boromir and then you can sack it to give creatures you control indestructible until end of turn and the ring tempts you which is going to give make one of your creatures legendary and the only thing that can block it are creatures that have power equal or less like creatures with greater power cannot block it so that's actually a lot three three vigilance in a human in the humans deck which has definitely been knocked to the fringes but the fact that this can counter the evoke creatures because no mana was cast to solitude or fury or subtlety or grief uh, is 
or endurance is is no joke and there's also a bunch of other free spells in the format like force of negation that this interacts well with i want this to be true i just it's three mana and you're not like waiting around for your fury so so is fable and fable looked slow at the gate too but sometimes the value the value chain is so strong that three mana is fine especially if you've got solid ones one and two drops and that and that this is kind of like your only three drop in the deck now again humans keeps getting pieces like it's a tribe that gets more action than anything any other tribe except maybe elves and it still hasn't gotten there because like fury is so and solitude are just so good but so good but with boromir on the table they can't fury so if you boromir they have to fury in response they can't find the fury later Unless they're going to hard cast it. So, I don't know. And if they hard cast it, you just sack Boromir to nullify it anyway. I'll tell you in EDH this weekend, I was I put it in the food deck to protect the creature combo pieces. And sure. then one of my opponents was playing a Cascade deck and this just shut them off. That does sting real bad. <laughs> yeah, anything where you would uh, copy, uh, anything where you're casting spells for free... Maelstrom, Maelstrom Wanderer, Averna, um, Joda. Joda would also do it. Boromir does work all the way. So moving on over to top EDH cards, the Wandering's great, Orgish Bowmaster's great, Mirkwood Bats. This a is a mistake of a card. This is a common. <laughs> so this is probably a brick, but you gotta you gotta find a stash of these that's underpriced. This is the kind of common that could be pretty easily five dollars down the road. But there's this tension with this set being opened so, 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 so much. Now, I haven't double-checked the Collector Booster composition to see if foil commons or uncommons are especially rare or very common. Because sometimes they've given us CBs where they only show up in one slot, and they end up actually being pretty hard to find. Right. But this this card does work, because if if you're sitting on a pile of, like, 10 treasures, and then you bats, you're instantly setting up a table drain of 10 right and and they they can kill the bats but you can sack your treasures in response so it's gonna happen and it's each opponent loses a life so i guess it's bleed not drain um unlike some of the other black cards i talked about earlier it's still very 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 good yeah and and so in the decks that have like academy manufacturer and a bunch of food tokens or whatever this is just auto include because it it does arguably a better job of of bleeding than a bunch of other black cards that have been super staples in the past and it's reinforcing those themes so between the agent of the iron throne and this and the nadir's nightblade from commander legends just in the last four years we've gotten additional bleed and drain abilities that all overlap and if you have two or three of these things in play at the same time and then you sack a bunch of tokens then very very bad things happen for your opponents and and we saw games won that way twice, I think, with Lotho, um, where that deck that deck was running all the stuff that would result in them having a pile of treasures, and so they always had a pile of treasures, and they were able to cast whatever they wanted. They were able because Lotho only cost two, you know, and then four, six, eight, ten. It's very very easy compared to say a commander that costs six and then goes to eight, ten, twelve. Uh, they never really got locked out of the game by not having access to more Lotho. Bats is, was flagged early and it is very, very, very good. The other one like that is Elven Chorus, which I was debating picking up a bunch of at $5 today and kind of dithering on the, the basis of 
most of the time I would look at this and think $5 was a deal on this. Three and a green for an enchantment. You can look at the top card of your library anytime. You can cast creature spells from the top of your library. Creatures you control are birds of paradise. They can all tap for any color. Fixes mana. If you're in a creature-heavy deck, it casts stuff off the top for free. It gives you a bunch of free draw steps, basically. And feels like it's supposed to be a $15 card at some point. But again, how much like this set is just so like it has such a high print run. There are a couple of cards that are really close to Elven Chorus. Um, to, to get there, though, uh, real quick, for the collector boosters, I double-checked. Uh, I'd already looked at this part for my article on Friday. But it's there are three slots with maybe a fourth that sometimes gets overwritten into another card. So you're going to have four cracks at a common Mirkwood Bat. There's 101 uncommons. So you'll get one every 30 collector boosters or so. The other thing is the Mirkwood bats are part of one of the tableaus, right? So right. they have they have extra copies. There were, there will definitely be extra copies of the that borderless version that is that I think, uh, yeah, that I th- I'm not sure if it's if that tableau is in the main set or it's only out of one of the bundles. I'd have to double check that. But yeah, there's there's extra bats lying around, and currently market price on the borderless Mirkwood bats is three dollars and twenty four cents. And if those get down to like 99 cents or something along the way here, definitely feels like a brick. It does feel like it'll have brick potential. I'm, I'm going to be more patient on it. I agree with you that we're going to be opening a lot of this for a long time. But to get back to chorus, uh, what the Elven Chorus. So this is pretty close to Vizier of the Menagerie, the mythic out of Amonkhet that uh, has already had a secret lair drop to go with it too. And it was a solidly four to five dollar card for the longest while. As a mythic, not a rare. As a mythic, not a rare. And it is a creature, and it does not have the creatures tap for mana, but it does have you may spend mana as mana of any type to cast your creatures. So you don't get extra mana, but it fixes your mana very nicely. But you know, it is a creature and it dies quickly. I would yeah, that's the thing. I would argue that almost anything that can be an enchantment or I mean, can be an artifact or even better, an enchantment versus being a creature. If you're not in- intending to attack with a creature, is usually better as one of those permanents. Because I would agree. What what I find a lot of the time happens in EDH with these mid range value engines is you get to turn six, seven, eight, nine, and the first sweeper goes off, and this thing just gets swept up in it, yeah. and and you never really get to go off with it. Whereas people cast a bolus of citadel into a table where nobody had an artifact destruction card or a counterspell handy and just absolutely went haywire on us. So yeah, that would make a lot of sense. And if that had been on a creature body, we would have dealt with it immediately. So I think that Elven Chorus is a step up. It's intentionally a step up. And it's similar to how, you know, Rock's Faith Minder or Faith, Faith Mender, I can't remember which it is, the one that doubles life gain. I think is a, is the you would make that cut before you would cut say Alhamrat's archive or something that is a much more likely to stick around life doubler for your deck. So I think course is great. What do you think about it at five dollars? Is that a buy? Is it a wait? Are you hoping it is the ma- oh, incredible amount of packs being opened as people search for the one ring is going to lead to two dollar copies? I think almost everything in this set is going to fall like a rock as people give in to the gambling urge to open these serialized rings and maybe even the one ring and you know there are 
for this particular card, there are six other cards that have the similar effect. One of them's an alchemy card. But none of those are really expensive. You Ranger class, Augur of Autumn, Garuk's Horde. There's a Planeswalker that does it. So, yes, it is a good effect. It is not like an overpowering effect. It is just solid value. And it's going to let you play off the top of your deck, which is a delight. But, you you know, you'll get a land stuck there. And you're like, well, well sucks to be me. You don't get the extra card there. The thing is, though, it's actually two abilities. It's like the Essica ability, but instead of giving it to Legends, it gives it to all creatures. Sure. Plus the Vizier ability. It is good. And you're getting it together. I agree it's good. I just don't think it's going to be in this set with this level of frenzy. I don't think it's going to go up in price from here, certainly. I think it is going to go down, and we'll, we'll see it hit two or three bucks, probably less. And then if they leave it alone for four years or something, it's probably a future $20 card. It's got a, a generic enough name. It's got Elf in the name. It doesn't say, like, uh, what am I looking for? What's the name of one of the Mystic Forest consults kind of thing? Which King no, of Angmar a, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, this will get a reprint, and everybody will be like, oh, it's a solid card. It's just been printed too much. We'll see. Gandalf the White. We already talked about Boromir. Gandalf the White, three double white, four five, flash, mythic, avatar, wizard. You may cast legendary spells and artifact spells as though they had flash. If a legendary permanent or an artifact entering or leaving the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, the ability triggers additional time. We talked about this when it was first revealed as being just insane and Joda. Just giving all of your legendaries, the first two lines are good, and you add the third one in there, it's just uh, super mega bonus stuff. So this is very, very good. It's also plenty expensive. It's a very popular character. I would expect this to be one of the more price-resistant cards. Um, It doesn't have outside EDH applications, so that creates the most downward pressure. But inside the EDH community, there is so much use for this. Like I would compare this to something like the two new Elish Norns that were printed this year. Sure. It's about the equivalent amount of play potential in Commander. It is worth mentioning that there's, you know, multiple versions to choose from, depending on whether you like the ring art or whether you like a more you-shall-not-pass look going on. And And I think this is a giveaway as a a play promo as well. And I think there'll be a new version in November. Yes. So So uh, we got to keep that in mind for all of these cards. Not all. I think that it's the major characters in their best card versions that are likely to see the reprint in November. The, okay. I'll... Some something like Hugh the Entwood probably doesn't catch a reprint in November. You know, like a a, a random value mythic, because it's a all combination right. of new and old cards in the November release. So Gandalf probably you sell it up front opening weekend when it's real real hot. Oh yeah. The other thing that's interesting here is you can only pull the one ring, the one of one, out of the CBs or the gift bundles that have the CB pack, Correct. Sample, sample pack in it. So the regular box, the regular copies of things don't come out of CBs. You can get showcase versions of things, but a regular version of a random rare is is the most of that is just going to be coming out of big vendors doing mass crackings to feed the very strong wall of demand that the market is brewing. I mean, if you've got things like Mirkwood bats going for a dollar or two at common, this will have, this has a lot of really, excuse me, a lot of really powerful things. 
I think that we are going to see a lot of regular draft boosters get cracked in this set. It's not it, just going to be a Commander Frenzy. It, it will a probably be a, there'll probably be a lot of drafting going on as well. Also true, like arena switching over of all things. Yeah, I mean that that probably drains on the paper drafting potential, but still. Uh, the other one, Lotho Corrupt Sheriff that I talked about earlier, very very strong commander and is probably in the same range as Cambal as a white black staple that is limited to those colors, but we'll find plenty of homes regardless. Like if we if we look at the top commanders of the last month. Black-white commanders include Atraxa in number one, Timna in number two, Sadar Jabari in number three, the Ur-Dragon in number four, Thalia and Gitrog in number seven, Omnath in number nine, Joda in number ten, Edgar Markov in number eleven, Kenrith in number thirteen, Ishin in number fourteen. You get the idea. There's actually a lot of black-white commanders in the top 20 right now. So Lotho... I don't know how much of a spec it is, but in terms of a card you're going to want to own is is right there doing what it does. 2-1, whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, you lose life and create a treasure. It's basically just a cheaper smothering tithe that you where the trade-off is that you're going to lose life to get the treasures. It generates about as many treasures. Uh, that seems ambitious, but I haven't played with the card. I'll, I'll trust you on that because... Tithe triggers everything they draw, but your your opponent has a choice about playing the second spell. Yeah, but they but no one ever wants to slow down just so you don't get one mana. I can't imagine slowing down just because no. you don't. Yeah, I don't want to de- deny myself that you're you're right about that. Only the most disciplined players pay their taxes and sacrifice the speed of their board building state to slow down a Ristic Esper player. Personally, I don't ever bother. I just try to accelerate myself and get as many like get as much on the table as I can, so that I can build up card advantage and then take care of whatever problems they're creating from their own card advantage. Nice rustic study. I'm going to hit you with my dragon for eight. Go ahead. Yeah, like if I have spare mana, then for sure. If I'm trying to, if I only <laughs> want to cast a three and I've got four, then yeah, of course I'm paying my taxes. But the thing about Lothu is they don't have a choice from a taxing perspective. So in the late game. He gets better, whereas Smothering Tithe gets worse. And we saw yeah. this a lot because some other got some other person at the table would go off, right? And like, for instance, when the Cascade player, they cast those spells. Yep. So every it's time trigger off that. Every time, every time they cascaded, they 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 set off Lotho. Trust me, the Lotho player never had a game where they weren't sitting on a pile of treasure. Because they're also running Smothering Tithe and all the other stuff that generates treasures. it It's a very strong black-white card. Uh, last March of the Ents, I don't think it will surprise anybody. Uh, it was set up to be the big green mythic of the set, and it does exactly what it seems to do. Can't be countered. Cost 8. Draw cards equal to the greatest toughness among creatures you control. Then put any number of creature cards from your hand on the battlefield. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you have a creature on the board or not, but you probably will by this point. That just gets you some extra cards to choose from. But the whole idea here is that you've been building up some threats and you're just going to go ahead and somebody cyclonked or something, but you've still got mana on board. So you're going to cast Last March and and drop the biggest stuff you've got. This is, I, I can't wait for some Cyclonic Rift player to be like, okay, well, I'll Cyclonic Rift you in response to the March so you don't draw any cards. Sure. Okay. Resolves. Sure. All right. Blah. Well, just yeah. The whole hand dumps right back down. 
Love if it. this if this was a conditional trigger, where you have to have a creature in play, and then that's It'd be a how lot worse. and yeah, but it's not right. So as long as you've got the mana to cast it and a bunch of stuff sitting in your hand, you're going to get to do the thing you think you're, you you want to do. So it's exactly what it looks like. It's good. Uh, Spiteful Banditry is way down the list in terms of reported decks on EDH Rec so far, and seems to me like people are underestimating this card. It's X double red to basically be like a Meat Hook Massacre. For X, you can kill the creatures with X damage. Uh, wipes the whole board. And then... Whenever one or more creatures your opponent's control die, you create a treasure token. So, yeah, you only get one treasure that first time. But then you did this in the mid-game. Might have been the first or second sweeper cast. And then for the next five to ten turns, you're getting treasures incidentally all over the place. It's got the same thing going on as Smothering Tithe and Lotho. Where anytime you get incidental treasures in situations that people can't really avoid you're going to get you're going to get them. <laughs> like think think about any kind of deck that wants to recurse things or is sacking creatures on purpose, you're you're getting treasures out of it and setting yourself up. And it's basically in that way two spells in one because you got a sweeper and then you just have this added bonus of getting incidental treasure for the rest of the game. Banditry is going to be a card that is going to get much cheaper than we think it's going to than it should be. Like right now, it's going for twenty dollars in the the regular, co- and it's it's going to get yep. significantly cheaper than that because people aren't people aren't going to give it due credit. But this is an ability because they'll say X red red. I can just earthquake. I can do all kinds of things for a better price, and the, it's hard to get a better price than this. Plus, you're getting like you said the ongoing treasure bonus, which is significant and wonderful, and everything that a red player wants. Tell you another card that impressed me when I played, tested it in the food deck, even though it had no specific synergy there, and was impressed. Palantir of Orthanc, three mana legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, put an influence counter on Palantir and then scry two. Then the target opponent may have you draw a card. You get to pre negotiate this. So, a lot of the time, if you want to draw a card, you're probably going to draw a card. <laughs> I love cards like this where you can just say to somebody, let me draw this card. Whatever I draw, I'll show it to you, and it can never hurt you or attack you or target your stuff. I, I I've can't got, keep track of those deals. I need like infinite tokens to write down what deal I've made with who. Well, I, I have dr- drawn hundreds of cards in Commander with such deals. If that player doesn't, though, you mill X cards, where X is the number of influence counters on Palantir, and then that player loses life equal to the total mana value of those cards. Okay, so let's say your average casting cost in your deck is four. This ends up being the same kind of discussion as Protection Racket, where they think this is a nothing, and then suddenly a few turns later, it's far from it. Where you've got, a few turns later, you've got four counters on Palantir. If they don't let you draw a card, you're milling four, and if your average casting cost is four, they're taking 16 What's really amazing on this card is that nothing in here removes the influence counter. Yeah, and and it gets a lot better in decks that can either that can increase the number of counters. So, for instance, in Atraxa, when you, when you, <laughs> we are proliferating incidentally at end of turn anyway, or the Poison decks where you're trying to proliferate a lot and you actively have ten or fifteen or twenty cards in your deck that proliferate, Palantir is excellent. In decks where you can uh, double up on triggers and you can do this twice at the end of turn, this does extra work. You can't clone it because it's legendary, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, this, this this is a very generic artifact that is just 
good will be good in your average EDH deck. But if you have five or ten cards that interact well with it, it's going to get a lot better for you. Um, and, and of course, in a deck where you want to be milling, either because you are uh, bringing creatures back from your yard to play, or you're getting some benefit from having a bunch of instants and sorceries in your yard or something, there's a bunch of different reasons you can find to want to be running Palantir, where they might think they're punishing you to let you scry to draw. Scry to draw is a lot better than draw. And a lot yes. better than Scry 2. <laughs> so. Much, much better. Uh, the other one that's like that, that actually isn't on my list here, but is very close to making the list, is Horn of the Mark. This is right. another legendary artifact for just two mana, and it does one very simple thing. If you attack with two or more creatures, you instantly, before you don't have to hit with them, it's not like the swords, it doesn't actually have to connect. As soon as you've attacked, you get to look at the top five cards of your library and put a creature in your hand. Easy breezy. So if you've got 40-plus creatures in your deck, even 30-plus creatures in your deck in EDH, this is going to be a pretty reliable draw-a-specific card, which is a lot better than draw a card. And it's going to be bad in control decks, but excellent in attacking decks. It's the kind of thing that automatically finds a slot in Ginny Fey and all sorts of other decks that are go-wide strategies or something like a feather deck where I'm trying to attack hard and early because I'm going to lose in the late game. And even in the food deck where it was just incidental value, swing with Sam, swing with Frodo, after Treebeard made them bigger, nobody wanted to block, or I just targeted the person that didn't have any blockers because they attacked somebody else, or they were tapped out to do stuff, and Horn gave me another card, and it would do that two, three, four, five times a game. For two mana, very solid, and it's got very broad applications uh, in the format. I've also got... Delighted Halfling on my list here. It's actually one of the top cards on EDH Rec so far. I don't think it actually Understandably deserves... Understandably so. I, I don't know. I don't I don't think this card is all that. Bro, I mean, here, here, here's the thing. Can't be countered, James. Yes, yes, you yes. You don't understand how much we love that feeling of screw you, Baral player. Screw you, turn two to fairy time. No, 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 no. We want our commanders to come into play and you cannot stop me. And that is what the Delighted Halfling does. All right. It is a 1-2 for 1, so it can block 1-1s. One That's cute. It only makes colorless most of the time, which is not great. So Birds of Paradise is much more reliable in terms of doing the thing. And also doesn't get killed until a sweeper hits most of the time. Uh, you only bolt somebody's bird if they went, like, turn 1, bird, turn 2, soul ring, mana vault, skull clamp or something. She wept. The fact that it... it the fact that it gives you the Cavern of Souls ability is especially useful in co creature combo decks or decks that are very reliant on their commanders. So I, I can see how it's going to see plenty of play. But it's also one of the cards in this list that has the most uh, alternatives, where there are many, many one-drops that can fulfill this function. And it's also a format where you are often better off not using mana creatures and instead using mana rocks or green sorcery spells on three and four to ramp so that the sweeper doesn't eliminate your card advantage. This is true. All of these things are true. And yet, as you said, it is being put into an enormous number of decks because we love stuff like this. The other card that made this list is Fiery Inscription, which is the one that does two to your opponents, I believe, when an instant or sorcery is cast. 
when it, when it enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, it deals two damage to each opponent. Yeah. Like we were talking about before, where if you can have an effect on an enchantment or an artifact rather than a creature, you know, this is gutter snipe. And yeah. it's a better gutter snipe. And this is a card that is going to kill some tables. Because instant and sorcery-based decks do not care if they have a 2-2 in play or not. They would rather have a indestructible 2-2. Yeah. So, well, yeah, th- th- this is this with. is very, very good in Spellslinger decks and decks that are going to cast a lot. Uh, I would I should, should be testing this in St. Traft because in the Convoke deck, you are convoking and drawing car- extra cards a lot. And and this will do a lot of work. And it also gives you an incidental ring temptation, which means something is going to be hard to block. So that's my uh, my top ten. Do you have anything anything from the decks, the main set, or the jumpstart stuff that you feel like should have been on this list or close to it? The only thing that I wanted to mention was that we have a, a lot of versions of things, and you'll get to pick what art you like best. I think we're going to see an enormous number of Aragorn decks. Uh, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Just whenever you can cast a spell that's all the colors, you're going to get all the abilities, and people are going to bust that up. And I think that the Legendary Lands are going to be real up there in terms of just being included into every commander deck. Like uh, the Minas Tirith is you know, the same ability you talked about, draw a card if you've attacked with two or more creatures, putting that kind of thing on a land that doesn't give you a huge disadvantage, it's pretty great, and I think we're going to see a lot of it. Yeah, I think of those Mount Doom and... Having the Wrath on a land is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it also just taps to deal one damage to each opponent, which is very good in the Obnixilis builds. The the other two lands that I put into the food deck that really impressed me that I think should see a lot of play is Grey Havens and Great Hall of the Citadel. Grey Havens is enters the battlefield scry one. It can tap for colorless, or it can add one mana of any color among legendary creature cards in your graveyard. So in the Hobbit deck, you have something like fifteen or twenty legends in the deck. So Grey Havens does work, and Great Hall of the Citadel is probably even better, especially in in two, three, four, five casting costs commander builds. Uh, because it's a land that comes into play untapped, taps for colorless, but for one and tap adds two mana and any combination of colors, spend this only to cast legendary spells. So you're not going to put this in a monocolor deck, and you're not going to put this in a deck that has hardly any legends, but in something like Joda, this is an absolute auto-include. I agree, and that that was the only other thing I really wanted to add, or and that uh, Sting kind of made me sad as a card. I, didn't, I thought Sting should have been better. I, I still think Sting is a great card. It's just, it just needs to be in the right deck. The Because at the beginning of each combat, you untap equipped creature, anything that taps to do things is going to love that card. So, seems yeah. solid. Seems solid. Yeah. So, Lord of the Rings. They knocked it out of the park. Art's amazing. The one ring... Art's really, really amazing. The one of one media frenzy and clamor to find it and how it kind of turns you into Gollum has been noted many times all <laughs> all very thematic um the commander decks look great the price point <laughs> is probably the 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 most dubious thing but they really did push the value 
in the set between the surge foil, the box toppers, the surge foil box toppers, the seven, nine, 16, nine, 1901 serialized rings and a whole bunch of really good mythics and rares, especially for EDH. So I am not disappointed. I can't imagine a better version of the set, to be honest. So uh, here's the bet over under the one ring gets found three weeks. Which side do you want? Do you want the over or the under? I'm not sure I trust them to have planned carefully for a late release, so I'm going to go under. But I think the smart play is over. I think uh, we're. I think they did it right. They did it fully random, and it never gets opened. I think it ends <laughs> up on some some shelf at the back of a Target, and nobody ever opens it. It can't be fully random because they've already taken promo shots and stuff with it and so unless that was a separate copy that they prepped for that purpose and then destroyed like they used it and then said okay we've got these five copies to do promo work with and then they sat down at the table at the end and they all witnessed the guy cutting them up and shredding them and throwing them away that's amazing which they could have done that could have happened um that's that's up there with what we do with leftover medication at like a medical facility man you like have two people watch you as you flush down the toilet that that's the only way I believe in the randomness. If the copy that they showed off was not part of the the core production process, which makes sense, right? Because you have this like McDonald's monopoly t- trauma, right? Uh, where people thought they could win the big prizes in that contest in the U.S. for years, but there's a big documentary about how it, the whole thing was rigged because the people had paid off the right people at the production facility. And that could happen here. I mean, we had we had that guy just find Modern Horizons two product lying lying around in a landfill or something this year. So yeah, we'll see what happens with the One Ring. It, there's a lot of, especially now that the bids are up to two million. <laughs> that's a lot of motivation to just say fuck it. Like if you're if you're a <laughs> if if you're cracking product at a smaller LGS where they're not really thinking carefully about this. And they just put you on the task to crack four boxes, and you're the guy that finds it. That guy's not turning it in. If you're some dude making eight dollars an hour in the back of some LGS in Kansas, and the owner's just smoking a cigarette out on the front porch all day, fooling around with his phone, it is straight up out of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like, why was this girl jumping up to wave around that I won it when you could just like tuck it in your shirt and dip? Yeah, yeah. That that guy will just tuck it in, just put it in his deck box and melt into the night he won't quit right away if he's smart he'll just hang out for a while he'll let all the frenzy go crazy and if he's really smart of course he doesn't have the money because he's a he's working minimum wage but he'll wish he had the money to or go take a line of credit out buy a bunch of cbs to lean into the how insane the price is going to get on those if it never gets found like what what do you think the the lord of the rings first edition cb price is a year from now if nobody has reported the ring it's going to go just like in Willy Wonka, the Chocolate Factory. We'll have like sultans bidding on it and everybody's just going to be frothing at the mouth. Meanwhile, it's at a Target in North Dakota where they have two boxes of collector boosters that nobody ever opened. And it just, everybody, everybody's sad. I, the more so, I say stuff like that, the less I think that's going to happen. They seeded it somewhere. I think they, they, they seeded it. I, and, and I think a point was made on, I can't remember if it was... Uh, 
BSB or some other podcast I was listening to last week where they were talking about how it's to their advantage to seed it in the US, which is also true. So yeah. the you know the the odds of pulling it randomly in Singapore are probably lower than they are in in California, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. My my guess is first three weeks. The thing is, if they drag it out too far, it starts to overlap with the hype cycle for Commander Masters, which is also a very big release. So I think the the best bet is that it's going to get found in the first month. Okay, I can believe that. Alrighty, where can people find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. You folks can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles, including the upgrade to the Food and Fellowship Sam and Frodo Commander deck, which I call dubbed the Hobbit's Banquet, is up on mtgprice.com today. You can also find me constantly haunting our Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that would drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Oh, I'm glad to be back, James. It's good to talk about all this with you. Good to have you. Uh, if you're playing pre-release this weekend, good luck to you and good luck to every all the listeners as they search for the One Ring this weekend. We'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.